Hey, this is Joseph Zala, and this is Grits and Grids, a weekly discussion with restaurant and beverage industry designers and professionals on all things creative. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Awesome. What is up, Grits and Grids? I guess I'll say village. We're not big enough for a nation yet, but we're getting there. Um, on today's episode, I am honored to have Josh Miles from Miles Herndon, but you may know his sultry voice from Obsessed with Design podcast. Josh, thanks for being on. What is up? It's good to be here. I feel like we should have air horns, right? Like, what is up? Bear, bear. You know, I like think if club. you could add those in post, I would really appreciate it. I think I'm going to. I'm going to. It's it's decided. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, all right. So it is October, or at least it will be when um, when people listen to this. And October's theme is horror stories, which... Uh, some people would say, what the hell are we talking about? But I think as creatives and people in the restaurant industry as well, we all have a lot of scary stories to talk about. And uh, I know I have my own select, but I thought that a man of your stature and uh, your tenure in the business, that you would be fun to talk about this as well. Um, so we're going to talk about some monsters and scariness that happens in our day-to-day. So what, what's the scariest part of the creative field that you've encountered to date? So by stature and tenure, I think what you mean is I'm older than you. So I <laughs> old, hashtag old guy. I don't know, man. I'm 36. So I'll I'm be getting up there. I'll be the big 4-0 in November. So I've got a couple on you. Uh, 40 is the new 40. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for noticing. <laughs> yeah, man. Is that yeah, scary? Man. Is that the scariest part of the uh, of your your business right now? <laughs> it's the uh, the aging, the constantly aging. And just uh, no, that's uh, I have uh, yeah. I frankly have struggled with it a little bit. Like the whole idea of like forty is just another number, but it's one more than thirty nine, and I think that's what's terrifying about it. Um, yeah. But I, I think I'm mostly getting over it. <laughs> I think I, uh, yeah, it, it'd be. You know, turning 36 wasn't a big deal, but obviously the big 4-0 is looming for me. And I, I know this isn't your answer, but um, there is something to be said about, I think one of my fears is becoming irrelevant, no? Mm-hmm. I mean, like what I think is cool, I'm, I'm 36, dude. What's cool for me is not what the millennials like, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, my answer to your question is going to be something different, but maybe to go down this rabbit hole a little bit, I mm-hmm. think we have watched at least through the, you know, almost 20 years that I've been doing this professionally, I have watched, um, design firm after design firm or ad agency after ad agency when guys get to a certain age and by guys I'm in the Midwest. So I mean, both (laughs) men and women. So sorry, ladies, when, when professionals get to a certain age, they, they burn out, especially us, uh, firm leaders, business owners, creative directors, um, and they do, um, they do seemingly crazy things like go teach, which I think sounds really great or go write or switch careers. I know one local guy who became a realtor, like, oh wow! so that's sort of, um, I don't know if it's terrifying in that sort of scary sense, but it is like, man, what happens to our design tribe when we get to a certain age? Why do, why do some of us live seemingly forever and do this till we die like the great Massimo Vignelli uh and why do some of us just kind of fade away so but maybe getting back to your question I think the most terrifying part of this business is the most terrifying part of probably every single business and that's that's probably the people it's like how do you get the culture right how do you get the contracts right how do you get the relationships right and keep them all nice and friendly so 
Um, I guess to say that with all seriousness, I think that is the most difficult part of the business. Maybe even if it's not terrifying, it's the, you know, making sure that you've got all your I's dotted, T's crossed and keeping those relationships on the, on the up and up. No, I mean, that is, I think scary. Um, you know, you, you, the culture is such a, a delicate part of a business. And I think it's only something that's really become prevalent with our generation, and especially in the last, I would say, 10, maybe 15 years. Um, it's so delicate because when you start, a lot of us start, what, with like three, four people max and mm-hmm. then grow. And you usually grow because there's a need. Like, oh, man, I need an account person, said no creative ever. But we really do. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, they're, they're very important. Don't forget. Um, or, you know, I need social media person more recently. And, you know, like with anything, you focus so much on the utility that oftentimes you forget that culture is a big part of it, you know, and, and how do you manage culture when it's across diversity as well? Yeah. And it's uh it's a delicate thing too. So like when it's just you, you kind of know what you're up to and how you want to do things. And as soon as you add another human to the mix, that's where things get wacky and you sort of get that figured out. You're like, Hey, I got this stuff. You got that. And then you add that third person and you're like, well, when did she get here and what's she doing? <laughs> right. Right. Or even, you know, as you get bigger, um, how big is miles Herndon right now? So we have, um, officially 16 people. Nice. Um, so that's a, that's pretty big and healthy. And in some days, uh, some days that number alone is, is, you know, scary to keep with the theme. Like, yeah, we got a, it's a pretty big, big ship to keep 16 people busy all the time. Right. Well, and I think that's right around the time where I know with us, you know, we've landed at like a new account or a couple new accounts in our case and boom, we got to staff up. And now mm-hmm. luckily we've had people, we're always kind of interviewing, even though if we're not hiring, just getting a lay of the land. And yeah, amen hey, to that. yeah, you know, like if, Hey man, if someone walks in, it's a real rock star, you're going to find a way to hire them. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we, we land these things and now we have new people and I find myself looking around I'm like, wait, who the hell's that? What are they, <laughs> do they work here? Or is that just the water guy? <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's interesting. And, and you know, in the past I've been, a part of organizations or at least finger on the pulse with organizations where some really scary stuff did happen when culture was not properly defined or properly followed. Um, I think even more importantly, uh, law, like not laws, but like HR departments exist for a reason, you know, and they're sort of like the corporate no, no, right? Like, like we look at that and think, Oh God, if we have an HR department, I failed. Um, but I, you know, personally I've been in a situation where, the growth was so rapid with a particular agency that I was working alongside. Um, I was a partner with them, but I just worked out of their office at the time and they hired someone and, you know, we had the coffee, the morning coffee laughs and we were talking about, you know, uh, what is that? South park. And it was the super, super racially insensitive episode. You know, the one with jeopardy and that, that magical word that shan't Mm -hmm. be said. And we were laughing about it because we were like, man, dude, those guys, come right up to that line and mm-hmm. you know they don't they don't really i don't think step over it but my god they've come really close and so we're all laughing about it well new new person did not find that funny and she left and called a lawyer oh, man. Um, nightmare so hr department instilled within a week and for obvious reasons and that that to me is scary because you know where where did that go wrong like was it a cultural fit was it just 
we weren't ready to be in the company of someone who wasn't a um, in in our inner circle, you know. Yeah, and I guess just tagging onto that, um, just to be super transparent, like we became Miles Herndon a little over a year ago, so we've we've gone through all kinds of cultural changes, going from um, you know two companies that were both in the seven to nine range, and then combining, and then hiring people, and then we had some people leave, and then we've hired more people, so. It is a totally, it's a really a totally different animal culturally, you know, just what's the overall feel than, than it was 10 months ago and which was totally different than it was 10 months before that. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's exciting when you start to get the pieces right and you, you know, it's awesome. The team that we have right now, and it's cool to see those pieces kind of gelling and you just want to like protect that with everything that you have because (laughs) the opposite is, is truly terrifying. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's a bit easier when, you know, when you're first starting out, you're usually hiring people that are already in your circle. So you already kind of know them. You already kind of trust them. You already sort of know who they are. Um, it's when you start getting larger, I would say, you know, past the 10 mark, um, the big one zero mm-hmm. is when you have to start relying on things like interview skills and reading between the lines and, you know, assessing people's reactions to certain questions, because at that point it becomes very delicate because it's larger. It could easily break, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other side of that coin that's scary. I don't know if you've had to experience this. Um, what happens when your culture shifts and, you know, some people that were the, the OGs, as we'll call them, the originals, mm-hmm. no longer fit. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've been in business uh, in some form or variation for uh, like 14 years now. So, you know, we've seen every possible version of that from the, (laughs) you know, the period, especially during the economic downturn, like the people that were there then, like they're not going anywhere. Nobody was switching jobs. Nobody was starting their own thing during that time. So we had this period of like maybe four or five years that it was like, the team was the team and it didn't budge at all. Um, but before and after there were lots of changes, uh, kind of all around. So it's, um, you know, and we've had so many really great designers, uh, here over the the course of our 14 years. And it's, it really is just a different flavor with each kind of crop and different, different version of the team. So, um, you know, the, the other piece of this, so we're talking a little bit about the internal culture, but the other thing that I think can be so terrifying, um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I've got this horrible client or this bad relationship or this thing that went south and they're just dumb or they don't get it. But I feel like so many times that we are, you know, we're creating Frankenstein's monster ourselves. Like we're, you know, we're, we're allowing the client to get to the point where it's not working. And some of that comes from the form of, you know, we just sort of failed at communication perhaps Mm -hmm. like maybe in the sales process we said, and this is how many rounds of revisions you get, but it's not in the contract and we didn't repeat it in the first proof and we didn't repeat it on the second proof. And, you know, a year later into this logo design, we sure aren't talking about it anymore, but we're kind of like, Oh man, I just want this project to be done. Um, so when you kind of let those things just go and 
uh, you know, these little zombie issues, if you will, playing <laughs> off of the, <laughs> the yeah, Halloween yeah. issue. You've got all these Walking Dead issues that you're like, man, how do I, how do I fix this? And and I think the best thing that we can do as people who are probably more often than not creatives first and business people second. And we didn't wake up and say, I'm going to go get my MBA and go to business school. Oh, and then I'll use that to do design work. Like it's almost always the other way around. So I think the best thing we can do from that stuff is just to learn from it and document it better and, you know, try to try to create that, that quote unquote process that, that cleans things up to make that next relationship that much better. Mm -hmm. And do some self-assessment, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the steps in, grieving right so when you (laughs) um which is essentially what it is right i mean especially if it gets to the point where it's just mutually beneficial for you and that client to separate and walk Mm -hmm. away and so there is you go through the same stages that you would with a, a breakup or a divorce where you know you're mad and you're a little bit sad then you then you wonder what what would have happened if i did blank 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 and you start reflecting like where did I go wrong? You know, why, why wasn't I good enough to get that done right? And, you know, I think what you find most of the time with anything in life is that no one's ever totally wrong. Um, you know, there, there's, there's blame to be shared. And I think, like you said, learn from it and try to grow. And, you know, the, the semi joke unintentionally, you know, early on was the account person, but that's really where a good account person needs to come into play. Um, Mm -hmm. They need to be able to manage and communicate um, expectations and guide a client and not be afraid to say, hey, look, we're on the 16th revision of this. Something's going wrong here. Um, What aren't you communicating? What's changing? Is there someone who's throwing wrenches in the spokes that we don't know about that we need to know about? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how how have you handled situations like that in the the past? Um, I mean, you're the principal, so... At one point, you were the account person, I assume. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I also was the think, everything person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the doozer of it all. Um, but now, how, how's it handled now? I mean, have you had to swoop in when a situation has gotten tumultuous? Yeah. So the guys that we joined up with last year had one account manager on their team, and we had um, uh, Amy, who is our production manager. So she was kind of the internal version. Uh, we always lovingly called her air traffic control because she was <laughs> making sure the planes weren't bumping into one another and they were taking off and landing on time. Did you get into the headphones too? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. I don't think she'd go for the headset, but, <laughs> but she does have that big blip on her screen. I'm not sure what that means, but there's, Oh, the one that goes boop. Yeah. Boop. <laughs> the home. Wait, that's, maybe that's sonar. I don't know. Anyhow, so we had, we had the internal piece and they had the external piece. And we realized as much as I had personally kind of kicked and pushed against having a true account manager, um, that was one of the things that we liked about how they were set up. So one of the first hires, actually the first hire we made as Miles Herndon proper was a second account manager. So now we have out of our 16 people, two of them are just pure account managers. So the only thing that they do is... Um, not to belittle what they're doing, but they're scheduling, communicating, following up, leading meetings, uh, and making sure all those pieces are working together on the client touch side. Um, so this thing that we instituted um, maybe four or five months ago was this idea of a Friday email. And no matter how we're doing on your project, no matter how far ahead, behind, or how often we've talked to you, 
we're going to send you an email on Friday that says, here's what we did this week. Here's what I still need from you. And here's what's next. Mm-hmm. So that client always has that little bit of a security blanket of like, oh, okay, cool. Because my feeling is anytime the client calls you and says, hey, where are we on this? Ooh. Then that means you're kind of striking out. You're you're dropping the ball if the client is constantly asking you, where are we on this? So that's Great. that's been our... Um, uh, maybe our best solution to that, to that question, because I'm sure we're all using Basecamp or whatever else, but it turns out clients, um, don't often log into those things as much as we might like them to. So getting that, that really more where email almost feels like an analog touch anymore, you know, getting that, that regular touch of email, I think has been, has been huge for us. Yeah. And what's interesting, um, about that, is we've tried to do like uh, you know a monthly or a weekly newsletter that pertains to that client's particular industry, mm. um, you know. So maybe it's pizza specific or beverage specific or whatever. And we've done it where it's been very nicely designed. And uh, from Mailchimp, it gets terrible, terrible open rates. <laughs> um, it has to look like it's an it's a written email that came personally from you. So it's really, it's just a side note, but um, yeah, I think the communicate communication solves mostly every problem. Right. Um, you know, I find that sometimes it's just, I got to pick up the phone and say, Hey, look, what's going on? Um, Cause email isn't working right now. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as a communication tactic, we, we need to chat through this quickly and put it to bed before it turns into a beast that you can't control. Um, and I find that usually works nine times out of 10, but there are those times where you may, you just, it's not a good fit. You know, have you, have you had to walk away and break up with a client? Yeah, we have. And, you know, over the course of that much time, there's, there's been a few of them, but, um, maybe this is the wrong way to do it. But, but <laughs> as my wife would tell you, if she were sitting right here next to me, she would say that I am, maybe more unicorns and rainbows than the average optimist. Like other optimists are like, Oh, shut up. It'll never work. And I'm, (laughs) I'm the one, I'm the optimist optimist. So in my mind, even if it means like, let's just wrap up this last thing together and then move on. I would Mm -hmm. much rather end on a, on a success. Even if I know that, you know, the Titanic's going down, I want to make sure the deck chairs are very straight before we go underwater. Yeah. Yeah, and we've done that too in the past. I think yeah, there was particularly a, a client where some people have shifted in the uh, executive team or the management team, and the new person that came in was uh, a nightmare. Um, and not only did they not align with all of the equity that had been built in that particular those two particular brands over decades, they also didn't align with anything that had been recently done at all. So it was like this complete culture shift uh, on the client side that just after a while we, we realized that, okay, the T our team is not happy. Um, and it's not because they're being, you know, bitchy designers. It's because they're being beat up mm-hmm. and, and they're being beat up, but the work that's coming out isn't good enough to even warrant getting beat up. Right. Um, yeah. That's absolutely the worst when it's, it's not just that the relationship is going rough, but you're not proud of the work that's coming out of it. That's when it's like, man. <laughs> yeah. Is, is the paycheck really worth it? And right. I, I say, no, um, it's not. Um, 
you know, and then we've had other ones too where, well, I'd like to get your, your point of view on this. So we, we've had, you know, a client where it started great and then it turned into a bully situation. We realized that this person was a bully and, you know, we got through the first phase, did the same thing. Like, okay, let's just, let's get to the finish line here and then figure it out. But then bully still wants to work with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so we're like, wait, so you're not thinking the same thing we're thinking? Like, we're thinking this is terrible relationship. Um, but he's over there like, no, man, let's keep on going. And, and I think you um, maybe addressed this even a little bit on our interview on Obsessed with Design. So absolutely. listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, that's a good one. But um, we've seen, um, you know, clients who don't realize how bad it is. And, and we've done the same thing that I think you talked about, which is at some point you just make the price high enough that they <laughs> they go away, which I do agree is kind of a total cop out. But right. um, it's when you're like, well maybe when it comes down to it, maybe I would put up with the bully if they would pay three X. <laughs> right. Right. Then it becomes worthwhile because we can drink our way through the PTSD. Um, <laughs> but I think your team has to be on board with that too. Like, of course. Hey, are we cool with doing this stuff if they pay us double or right. <laughs> maybe double is not the real number, but, but Hey, if we do this and they give us this thing, like, are we, are we cool with giving them one more try or, you know, we've also tried the setting more strict parameters like, hey, this last one, the revisions went on and on. And I know we kind of let that go. But next time, if it goes over X number of days, we charge extra or, um, you know, we're going to limit the revisions. And if we get past this number, then we're going to bill hourly or time and materials or, um, you know, all of those things that I don't like to do. Yeah, I think if there if you think that there's an inkling of the relationship being better. I mean, when, when it comes down to a bully situation, you have to like stand up to him, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want to, if you, if you want to have a relationship beyond that, I think maybe it's the same thing. So looking back, um, what you just said, I think would be, if we want to salvage the relationship, what you just said would have been smarter to say, Hey, look, anything after three revisions is above and beyond here. Right. You know, we, we go hourly at that point. Um, but before we get into it, here here's the the lay of the land with our relationship. Um, when you do X, Y, and Z, it's creating you're not you're not empowering anyone to do mm -hmm. better work. You you're actually creating a hostile environment, and when that happens, the quality of work being put out will somehow be negatively charged, whether you realize it or not. And I maybe that gets a little bit like new new agey speak, but. I think if you're smiling while you're doing work, the work that you do is going to be quite, quite, quite awesome. Um, if you're pissed, I think it kind of comes through. It's almost like the, um, if you will, the, the Tetris mentality. And if we're just doing our work and we're cruising along and we're getting all the right pieces in and we deliver things on time and they don't come back, um, you know, you just kind of cruise along through that Tetris game. But as soon as those pieces start to stack up faster than you want, and you've got things that are returning that you didn't want to come back in the first place. You weren't expecting them. You can't account for it. Uh, you know, I joke all the time that my calendar kind of looks like I'm losing at Tetris because all the, <laughs> all the boxes are filling up faster than I want them to. Yeah. But, but I think that's what, that's what sends designers into a tizzy that they're like, you know, I've got my plan, my week kind of planned out and I turn this thing in on Tuesday and hit my deadline. And then on Wednesday it's back and I'm making revisions on Thursday and Friday, which means, I can't get to that identity that I want to work on, or I can't get to that website that I want to start thinking about. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it starts to overwhelm you pretty quick. And that can be, <clears throat> you know, if I had to equivocate that to a monster, it would be the blob, right? It just starts <laughs> developing. <laughs> you just can't stop it. Yeah. Why couldn't anyone run away from that thing anyway? It just, it wasn't fast. <laughs> it just, did it just it's appear? Like the steamroller in Austin Powers. Yeah, exactly. You just stand there and stare at it and yell. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 30 minutes later. It's getting real close now. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that feeling and that can kind of cause animosity or, you know, just that struggle that I think um, that's when you start throwing in a towel, right? Where you're like, well, this is good enough. Um, mm-hmm. and I hate that word. I think you and I discussed it again on that, on that episode was, I hate the word just like, just mm-hmm. get it done or that's good enough. That's that just do it. You know, like, sorry, Nike, I hate your slogan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's tough cause that can really sneak up on you when you're not expecting it. And I think that starts to cause, I think that's, it, that starts to se- uh, separate good designers from great ones a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think one of the other ugly monsters that I've encountered, I'm sure you have too, is the ego monster. You know, mm. the, the creative who thinks they are Massimo Vignelli to say, you know, to mention the name that you did before, God mm. rest his soul. Um, they think they're them and you're like, you know, bro, you're 21, you know, and <laughs> you may have fresh ideas, but believe me, you're you're not some maverick that is going to change the game today and you're not above doing these revisions. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the other, um, maybe to take a different twist on the Halloween thing is the other thing that we've spent some time with, um, as a, you know, with our leadership team, with my business partner is just really talking about who we are and who we want to be perceived as and what our vision is. And it's almost like, you know, so many agencies are walking around with that mask on, they're pretending to be some other character. (laughs) We're going to, you know, it's like we talk to our clients all the time that when you when you cover up your logo and your competitor's logo and you read that about copy and <laughs> they sound interchangeable, that's when you know that you're not expressing yourself. Or if you are, then maybe the other guys aren't. But I, I think getting to the heart of like, who are you and why does it matter? And why why should the world care about you? Why do they want to use you? And at some point, like, yeah, we all make, logos and websites and identities and whatever, but like, but what's the thing? Why would somebody choose you over somebody else? And I think getting that mask, that generic, generic, you know, dribble mask off mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting down to what's cool about you guys, um, is, is one of the really tough things about running a business in this industry. Yeah. I think it's about practicing what we preach, right? We went over that, uh, I think in episode two, um, with the guys from Kodo, um, Word up, Indy. Yeah, representing Indiana. <laughs> What's funny is I, I feel like I, um, as a as a person, designer, creative, whatever the hell you want to call me, have such better presences in every city except Atlanta, <laughs> and then I live here. <laughs> I'm huge in Baltimore. <laughs> so what the hell? What I do wrong? Um, That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so we were talking about practicing what you preach. And one of the things is, is when we're designing or coming up with creative concepts for a campaign, we do almost exactly what you said is like, all right, can I take this company name off and put another one on there? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can. Then what we're doing is generic. Um, and the same can be said for the creative firms, like you said. And I think part of it is not practicing what we preach to our clients in that we do what we're comfortable with and we're comfortable with what we've seen before. So mm-hmm. 
my site reads sort of the same way or looks sort of the same way as, you know, Miles Herndon's site, then they're doing something right. So I must be doing something right if I like <laughs> emulate it, right? Um, I think what the world doesn't realize is we're all a bunch of hacks just clamoring to any kind of relevancy. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I think it's the same thing. Like you really could, in a lot of instances, take one agency's logo off and put the other on and it would be the same exact look and words. So speaking of uh, Georgia, I had the guys from Ware Stewart from Augusta on the show a couple weeks ago. Nice. And, and those guys are not afraid to be silly. And I love it that they, you know, not just on the podcast, they were a blast to talk to, but they're, they're silly on social media. They make really high end videos that are silly. And yeah. they said, that's kind of like their, that's like their test. That's their litmus test that if clients see that stuff and they still want to hire them, they're like, Oh yeah, this is going to be really good because <laughs> they know we're total goofballs. And if you want to work with us and have a good time, then then great. And if you take yourself a little too seriously, then eh, you're probably not going to be a fit. So yeah. Yeah. No, that's I, awesome. Days, I wish I were that, that silly. Like <laughs> I really <laughs> I yeah. seriously respect the stuff that they do and they're, uh, they're, they're fun. They're definitely fun. You know, who's, um, I don't know if it's because I hadn't paid attention in the past or if maybe I'm just hitting Twitter at the same time he is, but Tad Carpenter, his <laughs> Twitter has just been fire lately. Like almost every post he makes, I, I get like at least a semi audible giggle, you know? <laughs> um, and I think it aligns so well with like his, his uh, natural or personal aesthetic. Now, obviously he's no longer Tad Carpenter creative. He's, you know, it's become a collective. He's Carpenter growing. Collective, right? Yeah. Carpenter collective. So it's not just him, but and maybe that's the shift. Like his personal Tad Carpenter um, account he just, he has some one line zingers where I just, if I could slow clap on the internet, I would, um, <laughs> you know, there was a bit of a breakthrough that I had, I would say maybe three weeks ago, we have a client we're working with that I, I just cannot wait to talk about, but I am not legally allowed to, um, investors were coming to town. It was a very, um, tough meeting that we were going to have. And we had to talk through the fact that we didn't have name yet mm -hmm. and um and that, that that was very bad for this particular instance um <clears throat> and he's like you know joseph what what happens if we decide on a name before then that you don't like and my response was honestly man the this like we will deliver this presentation with the same fervor and vigor that we would do with everything else and I almost had to take a seat because I was like, God, really, that's that's pretty much our passionate purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think we almost forgot that for a little while as you get into, you know, the grind, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that that's who we are. That's why that's our name. And, um, you know, I think there, there could be a lot said about that. And losing your identity would kind of make you more like the invisible man, would it not? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely played. That's or right. Maybe, you know, Casper, the friendly ghost. Oh yes, the friend. I was always scared of his older brothers. Oh um, man, you know, and, and I think the older thing. brothers were derivative of. Um, do you remember the Looney Tunes? I think, or maybe it was Mickey Mouse with the ghosts. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I was so scared of that growing up. Yeah, that haunted mansion ride in Orlando. I yeah. think I, I think I had to change shorts when I was a <laughs> kid first try. Yeah, didn't sleep for like a week. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 
Um, well, I wish we had more time to talk. I committed to my promise of 30 minutes. Um, Jose Rosado from the Angry Millennial would tell me that I'm an idiot and that it's my rules. I can do what I want. But I believe in sticking to my guns, at least for the six, first six months. Um, so <laughs> I, I think a lot of people already know who you are. But for those that don't, Josh, where do we find you online? How do we get in touch? And where do we listen? Absolutely. Well, if you're listening to this show, then obviously you're into the podcast thing. So be sure to check out Obsessed with Design on iTunes and Stitcher. And they tell me iHeartRadio. I don't even know what that means, but I know we're also there. Um, we are at Obsessed Show on Twitter. And we are uh, milesherndon.com on the web is our agency. And I am at Josh Miles on the Twitter. Nice. And that's uh, Miles, M-I-L-E-S, Herndon with an N before the D. Yep. Um, get that right. And go check out some of that work. It's awesome. Um, this has been a spooky interview. I've enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> hope you have too. Yeah. I'm going to add some theremin music at the end of this thing, I think. <laughs> um, all right, Grits and Gritters. Um, still working on that one. I don't know what to call y'all, but thanks for tuning in and have an amazing week. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out. Good luck.